Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. I want to welcome you today to our 11 o'clock service. We are in the Gospel of... Matthew, that's right. We've been doing this for a few months. We go chapter by chapter and verse by verse. Last week, we were in chapter 6 for the first time. We'll be continuing in chapter 6 this week. You know, last week, I I sat down after the service and kind of went through my notes, and I kind of preached to myself again. I just, it, it wasn't me talking. It was the scripture that was in there because the Lord wants us to do do good. That was our service. That was our message of our, our, our message last week. Our title of our message was doing good. Um, Jesus said, be careful not to do your charitable deeds before man in order to be seen by them, to do it, to do it in secret. Uh, we don't want to be showy. This is not about the show. This is about pleasing God. And you'll see today as we continue the words of Jesus, as we go through the Sermon on the Mount, that this is a continuing thing that he's going to talk about, which is when you do your acts of righteousness, even today when we pray, that's what our message is today, is daily prayer. We're in Matthew chapter 6. And you'll see again today as we pray that this is something between us and God. It's not for the show. Not for the show. So let's go ahead and, and read chapter uh, 6, beginning in verse 5. Again, my message today is daily prayer. Jesus says, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you've shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret place, and your Father who sees in secret rewards you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetition, as the heathen do. They think that they will be heard by their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Last couple of verses. Jesus says, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Uh, My message again today is entitled Daily Prayer. Daily Prayer. And and it's it's an important message for a number of different reasons. I've broken it up into two different parts. Uh, When we pray, that's the first part, and then what we pray. Now, my hermeneutics professor, when I was in seminary, said I always had to have three points. Always had to have three points. So, you know, for Dr. Gilkison, what I wanted to say is this, is that uh, my second part is going to have two parts, okay? So two parts in the second part, one part in the first part, I have a perfect three-part sermon. Is that good, Hal? I'm just laughing back here with you, bro. <laughs> <laughs> a three-part sermon. Our first part is when we pray, when we pray. You may want to hang on to your bulletin uh, and have the Lord's Prayer in front of you because we're going to be referring to it a number of times. Our first part is when we pray. Jesus says this, the first two verses. He says, when you pray, 
You shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of their streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have the reward. Very similar to what we said last week. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you've shut the door, pray to your Father who's in secret place, and your Father who sees in secret rewards you openly. You know, prayer is one of the most powerful tools that you have at your disposal. It's, it's better than the American Express, right, that you don't leave home with. Prayer is something you can do at any time, and you immediately have this line of communication open with the creator of heaven and earth. That's amazing, prayer. But if I speak to you, if you get around Christians, if you're just honest with yourself, you'll find that a lot of us continue to, to struggle with prayer. Uh, we really do. I mean, sometimes you may be on a, on, a good, on a good roll for a while. Maybe you've gone weeks, maybe even months, and you're good about your faithful prayer. You get up in the morning and you pray, or you've got your special time during the afternoon. For me, I used to love to, to drive my 45 minutes because I found that my 45-minute drive to work and back was a good time for, for me to pray. It was just a, a good place to go. Of course, then we got cell phones, and that kind of ruined that, that 45 minutes. But so many of us will have to admit that when we pray and as we pray, sometimes we struggle. We struggle with it. Sometimes you wonder whether your prayers are getting any higher than the ceiling. You wonder if you should, how you should be praying. Should I be constantly praying for my friends? What about, the, what about the world? What about world peace? All these different things go through your mind about prayer. And sometimes it can get very confusing. But the thing that Jesus wants us to talk about when he talks about when you pray, he's comparing us to the way we should not pray. The way we should not pray is how the hypocrites pray. He's not talking about hypocrites. He's talking about the way that they pray. And he mentions a couple things. He says, when you pray, you should not pray like the hypocrites. He's assuming that we're going to pray. Just as last week we assumed that people were going to give, this week we assume that people are going to pray. So Jesus is giving us some ideas of how we should not pray. And he says, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets. You know, Jesus references these two places, and they're two places that are very interesting. The first one, I think we can understand pretty well, that's the, the synagogues. You know, synagogues are a lot like our own churches in that when the session starts, they have somebody pray. And often at the time of Jesus, they would have one of the rabbis would pray. Sometimes a Pharisee. The Pharisees, of course, were even a higher order than the rabbi. So if the Pharisee was there, they would pray as well. Well, one of the things they would do is these rabbis is not only did they have the Torah, they also had the Talmud, and then they had the Mishnah, okay? So they keep on adding more and more different things. And in the Talmud, um, there was a thing called the standing prayer. Now, Jesus says, when they stand and pray, and I think he was referring to what was called the standing prayer. It's the Shemona Ishra in the Hebrew, Shemona Ishra, and it basically means 18. Now, I don't know why it's called 18, because in the Shemona Ishra, there are 19 prayers. And these rabbis would memorize all 19 of these prayers with the salutations and the names of God and the, the, the thanksgiving and the glories of God, and then they'd finish the prayer. There were, there were 19 of them, and they would recite them all. So as they're standing praying, they're impressing all the people with their ability to remember the entire Shemona Ishra, all 19 prayers, which is called the 18. Now, the Talmud also specified that by Jewish law, um, they needed to pray three times a day. 
And Jesus says they love standing on the street corner and impressing people with their long prayers. Well, three times a day, that's morning, afternoon, and nightfall, often the rabbis and the Pharisees would gather on the street corners because the synagogue wasn't open. They would drive around the street corners and they would begin to pray. And they would pray out loud and they would start to pray. And, and what would happen is they would do the same thing. They would pray this Shemona Ishra or other prayers. In fact, in the Talmud, they had... 613 mitzvahs. Uh, a mitzvah, sometimes people say, well, it's commands. Well, really not commands. They're more like pathways. 613 things that you are supposed to do. Well beyond the, the Ten Commandments, there were 613 other things they would do, and many of these were prayers. So they would start reciting these prayers, and people would be impressed because they would be able to memorize these prayers. But Jesus says this. He says, they have the reward. Isn't that sad? I mean, when you pray, you're praying for, to, to communicate with God. Often we pray because there's something on our heart. There's a concern for something in our life, for our friends, our family, our grandchildren, our neighbors. And we're, we're praying and we want to be able to, we don't want to impress our friends. We want to basically get the attention, get the attention of God. Jesus says this, he says, but when you pray, go into your room. I love that. Go into your room. The room, the word there is often translated as closet. Maybe you've heard that. Go into your closet and pray. Well, the actual Hebrew word, it's more like treasure house or, or treasury. I love that because when you pray, you're opening the treasure house of God. You're going into that, that special place. I know a number of people after, after one, of the, one of the movies came out, uh, people started creating their actual little prayer rooms. Have you seen that? And they take their closet and much to their husband or their wife's chagrin, they, they take all the clothes out of it and they paint it and they start putting prayers on the walls and that's their, their prayer closet. And then they did it because they wanted to be basically uh, communicate with God. They wanted to get away. I just heard a story at the last service. I, I loved it. And it was this, is that there was a, a little boy, and he was only, he's only four years old. Uh, and and he, has, he has ADD, and he has a few other disorders. He's on the spectrum somewhere. Uh, we all know people, we understand that there's a spectrum there. And what would happen is the, the, the activities of the day and all of the distractions and all of the stimulation would start getting him very, very anxious. And the, they had prepared a closet for him that was just painted white. And there was nothing in the closet except that was painted white. And they would say, go to your special place. Go to your place. And he would immediately go into his special place and close the door of this closet because it was a place where there were no distractions. What a lesson for us. That's what Jesus is saying. Go to that room. Go to your special place. Go to your closet. Go to your treasury. Go to a place where there's no distractions and nobody else that can see you. And when you pray, you're praying in secret. And the God that sees in secret will hear your prayers. And this is the thing. He'll reward you openly, meaning that he'll be answering your prayers. What a reward is to have your, your prayers answered. So I, I, I love that. I love that story as well. Let's go on. Verses 7 and 8. Jesus says this, he says, and when you pray, again, when you pray, not if you pray, but when you pray, do not use vain repetition as the heathen do. They, they think that they will be heard by their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you even ask him. Isn't that something? God already knows what you need, but he wants you to come to him in prayer, right? 
There's a lot of reasons we do that. God loves it when we, we come to him in prayer. Now, I want to I key on this word vain repetition. Vain repetition is the use of meaningless and redundant words or, or phrases in prayer. Uh, now, prayer is from the heart. Prayer is not from the tongue. Prayer is from the heart. It isn't how many times your tongue goes up and down. It's what's in your heart that matters. You know, we try to impress God or, or worse, other people by our, by our many words. They, we deny that. When we do that, we deny that God is loving. Holy Father that already knows what we need. We don't have to keep on repeating over and over again. Um, Ecclesiastes chapter 5 says this. It says, therefore, let your words be few. Phillips, Craig, and Dean had a song that said, let your words be few. I love it. Let your words be few, for a dream comes through many activities, and a fool's voice is known by their many words. The NIV translates this, this vain repetition as babbling. It says, in the NIV, it says, when, when you pray, do not keep babbling as the pagans. I love that. In the, in the book of Acts, G, uh, Paul and Barnabas go to Ephesus. And in Ephesus, they're preaching, and they're making quite a... Uh, uh, quite, a, quite an impact on the people in Ephesus. And it's a very pagan town with a temple uh, to Diana, to Diana, the, 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 the queen of the Ephesians, the uh, greatest Diana. So, and what happened in the book of Acts, it says that all of these pagans started getting excited because they knew that their silver and their gold was going to be worthless because they were all made out of, out of uh, statues to Diana. And they started, it says, for all of them with one voice about the space of two hours cried out saying, great is Diana of the Ephesians. That's babbling. In fact, in the NIV, it says they babbled on and on for two hours. Great as Diana of the Ephesians came over and over and over again. And Jesus is saying, you don't need to babble. You don't need to babble. Your, your father knows the things you have of before you ask him. God already knows. We don't pray in order to tell God. And we don't need a lot of words. Now, I have to say this. There is a thing called continuous prayer. Paul says that we should pray always, on all occasions, that we should continually be praying. So that means an attitude of prayer. And also, uh, in, uh, in, in, uh, in, uh, in Matthew, it, it also says, it, it says that, uh, that we, have to, we have to be tenacious. Uh, we have to be persevere in our prayers. Remember the, the, the parable of the, of, the, of the woman that was persevering prayer? And she came to the judge that didn't know God and didn't care about God, but because she kept on coming to him and coming to him and coming to him, she finally gave it. And Jesus is saying that we need to be perseverance. Well, people wonder, what's a, if you're not supposed to be babbling, and you're supposed to be continuous, but you're not, and you're supposed to be, and you're supposed to be uh, persevere in prayer, how's that supposed to work? I have an example for you. I have an example for you. So my beautiful wife and I, we've been married for about 48 years about 48 years, 48 years this year. We have this wonderful relationship. And when we drive, we will talk the whole time. In fact, that's one of the reasons we like taking trips when we drive, because we kind of look forward to it, because we're going to spend a whole day in the car, and we kind of catch up. We're constantly in communication with each other. And this is the idea of continuous prayer. We're just kind of bouncing things off of each other. I'm talking, she's answering, she's talking, I'm answering. This is this continuous prayer. At the same time, for the last 48 years, my wife has been tenacious persevering that she constantly tells me what the speed limit is, okay? So she is, that's, that's perseverance. That she just perseveres. She just won't let it go, okay? She's constantly telling me what the speed limit is. And I, I thank you very much. I appreciate that. I, I know what the speed limit is. But we have this, this relationship, and it works. So I hope you like that example. 
So let's get to the next question. Remember I said I was going to break this up into two different sections. Uh, when we pray and now what we pray. And, and what we pray, we're going to get into the Lord's Prayer. Jesus says this, On this manner therefore pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts and forgive our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So I said this part I was going to break up into two different parts. This first part you've probably heard before. It's kind of common. And it's basically, what does the Lord's Prayer teach us about us? Remember, we're the ones that are praying. So this is teaching us something about us. This is how we are supposed to be, be praying. And there's a number of things in the Lord's Prayer that teach us about us. So, for example, we, it starts off, it says, um, Our Father who art in heaven, right? Well, that tells us a lot of things. It tells us that we're dependent on God. We're going to God. We're not going to Krishna. We're not going to the market. We're not going to the president. We're going to God and offering our prayers because he is the one that we're dependent on. Our prayer starts with our Father, acknowledging that we are God's children and we depend on God for everything we need. And then it says, it says forgive us our debts. Well, what does that tell us? It tells us that we need forgiveness. We're, we're all sinners. We're all sinners saved by grace. All of us have debts. Now, this word is sometimes debts. Sometimes this word is sin. Sometimes it's transgressions, um, trespasses. It's all the same. It means that we have fallen short in one or many different ways. And we can go to the God that forgives us our sins because we are, are sinners. Then it says, and forgive us... Forgive those who sin against us, who trespass against us. Forgive our debtors. What, what does that mean? Well, remember Jesus says that you need to forgive others as well. Otherwise, your heavenly Father will not forgive you. We forgive others because we know at any given time there are people that offend us. Now, we're not supposed to take offense, but sometimes it's kind of, it's kind of hard not to. So we forgive those that offend us. We forgive those that sit against us because we are to reflect the nature of God. Remember, the whole idea of living as a Christian is because you become more and more like Christ. If Christ forgives us, we want to forgive others as well. We can be hurt by others, and we need to extend forgiveness just as God forgives us. The Lord's Prayer says, Lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. What is this doing? This is relying on God for our, our strength. We rely on God to be able to do this. We ask God to recognize that we need God's strength to resist temptation, to overcome evil. It, there's a battle that's going on. It's a supernatural battle. It's not about a battle between people. It's between us and the spirit world. We ask God to be able to strengthen us so we can resist temptation. Then the, then the Lord's Prayer says, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, we're called to seek God's will. When, when we repent... Repentance is really changing our mind to agree with God. And when we ask for God's will, that thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we want to be able to follow that will. We need to stay on the straight course, right? We know that the, the path is wide that leads to destruction. The path is narrow that leads to eternal life. We want to stay on the path that leads to eternal life. Um, you probably, some of you have these new cars, 
that you push the button and it keeps, keeps you in the middle of the lane. Do you have that? Is that something? It works. It, it does work. It's, it's amazing. I love it. In fact, I, I like putting it on. In fact, I put that on. I put the cruise control on, you know, and I can kind of let go of, let go of the gas. I have to keep my hands on the steering wheel. And, and my wife hates it because, because she knows what she comes, we're coming up to, you know, some traffic and I know the car's going to slow down. I mean, that's what it does. It, it slows down. It's, it's actually better than I am. But she wants me to start braking now. <laughs> she wants me to start braking now. But the car will do that. Well, this is like our life. We need to understand that we need to see, stay in the center of God's life, and if we, God's will. And if we do that, he will protect us from the things that will come into our life. So let's go on. In summary, the Lord's Prayer teaches us, who we are, that we're dependent on God, we're in need of forgiveness and his strength, and we're called to seek God's will in our life. Now, I said this is two parts. The second part is, what does the Lord's Prayer teach us about God? Now, this is probably you haven't, something you haven't thought, because almost all commentaries talk about the Lord's Prayer and what it means for us. But I want to teach you a little bit about what this Lord's Prayer teaches us about God. The first thing I think that it wants us to know is God wants us to call him Father. He wants to be our father. He wants us to think of ourselves as his children, our father, that, that point of God's warm, personal, authoritative position in our life. He is our father. We are his children. <clears throat> in Romans chapter 8, verse 15, it says, We have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we, call, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. You know, friends that have adopted children, or have foster children that are with them for a long time. They tell us that there's no greater thrill in their life when that adopted child starts calling them father or mom or dad. What a thrill to know that you've been accepted by that child as their earthly father. That's a, that's a wonderful thrill. I remember I told you the story of, of the couple that stayed with us. They were just young kids at the time, 20, 21 years old, 22 years old. And they called us mom and dad. And that was, a, that was, that was so much fun for us to know that they were calling us mom and dad, that, that we had taken that place in their life, at least while they were with us, that they could trust us, that they could come to us. They knew that we were going to provide for them. Next part. The, the Lord's Prayer says, hallowed be their, thy name, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Well, what is that? What does it tell us about God? Well, it tells us that God's name is deserving of the highest honor. Uh, not only is our Father holy, which means that he's unique, that he's set apart, he's superior. We proclaim, hallowed be your name, because he is the one to receive power and glory and honor. That's out of Revelation. Power and glory and honor to you, Lord God. You know, in the Ten Commandments, there's not five and five. We often think of five and five. It's actually four and six. Did you know that? The first four commandments have to do with our relationship to, to God. And we know that the number one is you shall have no other gods before me. The second one is don't make a carved image, no idols, don't bow down to them or worship them. But the third one, I think, is where it, where it really strikes with the Lord's Prayer. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. The fourth commandment is keep the Sabbath holy. You know, in Deuteronomy chapter 5, it says this. It says, do not misuse the name of the Lord your God because the Lord will not leave anyone unpunished who misuses his name. You know, today, in the Western world, 
in the United States, among your friends, the name of Jesus Christ is used often as a swear word. Isn't that something? I, I've, I've spent time in Europe. I've, I've had time in, pla in, in Europe in places where they don't speak a lot of English, and they still use the name Jesus as a swear word. It, it's just one of those words that they just kind of throw out. They're misusing the word. Well, let me tell you, uh, God does not take that lightly. You know, it's interesting, isn't it, that nobody ever, uh, you know, misses the nail and sit, hits their hand with a hammer, and they cry out, Oh, Mohammed! Oh, Krishna! Oh, Buddha! They don't say that, right? Well, there's a reason they don't say that. Because it's, it's kind of like, like if you buy a fake watch, what kind of fake watch are you going to buy? You're going to buy a Rolex, because it's the real thing. They don't make fake Timexes, right? You don't need to buy a fake Timex. You can get one at the drugstore for $29.95. You get a fake Rolex, because it's the real thing. Well, Jesus is the real deal. Jesus is the Lord God. He's the Messiah. He's the Lamb of God. That's why Jesus has taken the place of God in our vanity when we pray. Now, here's a suggestion for you. If here's somebody, maybe you're on an elevator, maybe you're in the car, maybe somebody you're just talking to, they don't mean to do it, but all of a sudden they use the name Jesus and they're not using it as a prayer. They just say, oh, Jesus. What your response should be is, is Lord. They say, what? Well, you said Jesus. He's my Lord. That's my Lord. You see, that'll kind of balance things out. Now, if they say Buddha or Krishna, that's, that's another thing. <laughs> Let's go on. So it says, thy kingdom come. Now, these three words, these three words in the Lord's Prayer, have a, they tell us a multiple things about God. Uh, we're reminded of the prophecy of the coming kingdom, of course, that Jesus came to establish a kingdom, and at the same time, we're told as a number of times that his kingdom is already here. You'll hear theologians say that his coming kingdom is here, and not yet. Have you heard that? It's here and not yet. It's both at the same time because God establishes his kingdom in your heart. Your body is, this, is the temple of the Holy Ghost. God comes and dwells in you. He quickens your mortal spirit and you become born again. You become a new creation and God lives within you. So his kingdom has started now in your heart. At the same time, there's a coming kingdom. The prophecies of the coming kingdom will all be fulfilled. Every time we pray this prayer, these words that Jesus taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, tells us that there's a kingdom that's coming and it's something that we should pray for daily. The prayer reveals that Jesus is the king. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Praying thy kingdom come means that God is the sovereign ruler over every aspect of our life here on earth. God desires that we submit to his authority. Every king that has ever been on this earth always wants you to bow down to his authority, to his dominion. Jesus is no different. Jesus is the coming kingdom. When Jesus returns, it was what is known as the glorious appearing. He will rule and reign on the throne of David in Jerusalem, all of the earth and his kingdom, and he will rule, his rule will last forever. Then the Lord's Prayer says, give us this day our daily bread. I love that. You know, God is the ultimate provider. This is teaching us that he wants us to depend on him for everything. You know, at, at first glance, when it says, 
give us this day our daily bread. That doesn't seem terribly complicated. And I think in many ways, what's reminiscent here is the people of Israel, as they left Egypt, that God provided manna in the desert. And if you remember the story, he provided just enough each day for them so that they needed to rely on him every day. The only day that they had enough that for the last for two days was on Friday before the Sabbath they could collect for two days so they wouldn't have to gather on the Sabbath. What a story to tell. What a story that we need to rely on God every day, every day. Now, now here's the thing, is that because God is our provider, he wants to make sure that we understand that he provides and we are not to worry. We're not to worry. Jesus says this. This is in Luke 12. Jesus says, told his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens, Jesus says. They don't sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than birds. Who, who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Jesus goes on, he says, consider how the wild flowers grow. Have you noticed the flowers outside? I love it. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If this is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you? You of little faith. And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink or do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after these things and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom and all things, these things will be given to you as well. You know, there's two takeaways on what the Lord's Prayer teaches us about God. Number one, in fact, this is A and B both. Number one is we need to trust God. We need to trust God for our, our daily life, for everything in our life. We need to trust God for the, for the things that seem impossible as well as the things that are just normal. We need to trust God. Number two, we shouldn't worry. Worry is really the opposite of faith. Worry is nothing more than focusing on the unintended consequences, the things that we don't want, where faith is focusing on the things that we do want. Worry is basically counteractive to faith. One more thing on, uh, on the Lord's Prayer. It says, forgive us our debts. I love that. God alone is the only one that can forgive our debts. In Psalm 103, it says, The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to anger and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love towards those who fear him, he is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. And then I love this. Verse 12, we know, He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the... West, As far as east is from the west. I mean, he doesn't say north and south. You go so far north, eventually you end up going south. But that's not true with east and west. You can't get any further apart. C.S. Lewis, you know C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis once was asked the question, what is found in Christianity that is not found in any other religion? C.S. Lewis replied, that's easy, one word, forgiveness. Forgiveness. God can forgive us. The Bible says this. The last line says, For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. I'll close with this. That last word, the glory. The word glory is the Greek word doxa. 
It's where we get the doxology at the end of, the, at the end of our, our, our services. That's two different words. Doxa, which is glory, and, uh, and, uh, and logos, which is the word. It's the word that speaks glory to God. God is the one that receives all glory. The words of glory, praise God from whom all blessings flow. We have our, our doxology. When we say glory to God, we could use a number of other words, but doxa is a great word. It means splendor, the magnificence, the excellence, the preeminence, the dignity, the grace, and the majesty. That's what the Lord's Prayer tells us about God. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, Paul says this. He says, I want you to pray always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. I pulled it out because it has that word all in it. We're supposed to pray always. Praying what? With all prayer. Praying how? With all perseverance. Praying for who? For all the saints. My friends, your daily prayer needs to just be sweet. If you need to find your closet, find your closet. If you need to find your time, find your time. You're not communicating with other people. You're communicating directly to God, the one that's above all, that's worthy of all, that stands above all, and uniquely is God. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you, Lord. For You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of faith dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.